going on guys it's jp from the chase down and i'm here with my co-host ben what's up everybody and today we're just gonna hop right into it because i want to talk more celtics um last episode we had we had some thoughts about the celtics of how great they've been for the last two months and kind of just the end to that topic was I wanted to see them have a few statement wins. And since we've posted our last episode, they've done just that. Uh, they beat the Memphis Grizzlies, who themselves were skyrocketing at the time. And they did it without Jalen Brown, which was the most impressive part of that win. And then on this Sunday, they beat the Nets and Jason Tatum scored 54 points. And it was just kind of a scoring masterclass. So Ben, what are your thoughts on the Celtics' most recent wins? The most recent wins have been better than I could have anticipated. Um, I the, the defensive showing that we had against Memphis was really impressive. I think our first half was pretty rough. Uh, one of our halves was pretty rough. I'm not remembering which one. But the, the second half, we came out and we closed the game pretty decisively. It was a 13-point game. It wasn't really ever that close towards the end of it. Um, but the game against Brooklyn, man, that was probably one of the best games of the year. Back and forth through the entire game, there was some excellent defense played by Boston. But Jason Tatum scoring 54 points was stupid. That was incredible from him. Um, I felt like I was in a bit of uh, – like I, there weren't too many people with me when I said Jason Tatum was a top 10 player in the league. I said that last episode, standing yeah. by it, and I think this game's kind of a statement game from him. Uh, to prove that because he guarded Kevin Durant pretty much the whole time while putting up 54. That's uh, stupid. It's incredible. Yeah. And he, he outdueled KD in a scoring battle, which is just, I mean, that in itself is just kind of like unprecedented territory. And he's putting his names in <clears throat> conversations with Larry Bird in Celtics history. Like whenever you reach Larry Bird status in any Celtics lore, like, you're, you're pretty great. Like you're yeah. doing something pretty special. And I think that's what we're seeing from this entire team. We kind of went over it last episode, but just the way they're playing right now is kind of insane. And I think we'll get into this later in the episode, but the way they're playing has definitely raised their ceiling in my eyes. Um, Cause they're actually stomping good teams and they're beating good teams. So, or they have been the last two games. So yeah, man, the, that Tatum's performance was incredible against the Nets. I think that's going to go down as one of the best games of the series. I mean, season, like all season long, we haven't really had like super crazy scoring performances. And then over the weekend, we had like four in two days. So, um, but yeah, the Celtics, man, all the credit in the world. I just wanted to give them some credit to start off this episode. Yeah, it was an excellent team game, man. Uh, I don't feel like there's anybody on our team who the ball sticks in their hands for way too long anymore. Um, there's a great thinking basketball is an excellent YouTube channel that breaks down a lot of really higher level basketball plays. And I recommend watching them all the time, but they did a piece on Jason Tatum and the Celtics earlier today. Uh, one of the things that they highlighted that I talked about last episode was just the amount of guys who can generate hockey assists. Um, Derek white, Al Horford, uh, Marcus smart, Jason Tatum. Now the ball doesn't have to stick in their hands for five, six, seven seconds before they do something with it. They catch it. They see an open guy, they fling it immediately. Um, and that ball movement's been awesome. Um, Jason Tatum, man, I can't say enough good things. I, I have been saying 
that he could be an MVP candidate. And all it really takes is the Celtics to be a high enough seed. Um, this probably is not the year for it just because of the start that he had. But if we saw this the past, I don't know, 18, 20 games of Jason Tatum for an entire season, he'd be an MVP candidate. Yeah. And I was, it's funny. You were on that last year that that was your kind of hot take from last year. Like he will be in top five voting for MVP. I was doing a little like experiment in my head and I was just thinking about guys who were under 25 and what the next five years of their career would look like. And when it came to Jason Tatum, I kind of just, I think he's a lock for all NBA these next like five years. The defense, the scoring, the efficiency will go up next year. This, this was just a really weird year for him, I think. But I think he's kind of a guarantee to be in the all NBA conversation for the next five years. And basically make every single one of the teams so I mean that's we're gonna the Celtics are gonna have a top 15 player for the next five years at least at minimum yeah Yeah. and there's not much he needs to do to improve um his playmaking is starting to get there and the thing that's changed it's not like he is this high IQ Chris Paul type of player who sees the floor like from a bird's eye view Um, But he's gotten a lot better at slowing down and recognizing where other defenders are and how he can fit passes into his teammates. Um, We saw that with the Nets. There was a play early in the game where he just kind of dribbled at the elbow and waited to see what the defense was doing and nobody went to Rob. So he threw Rob a lob. Um, He's gotten a lot better at that sort of action. I don't think he ever needs to be a James Harden type passer, like flinging passes into crazy tight windows. But the fact that he can just recognize where the open man is and hit him, if he can do that more consistently for a season, that's really all he has to improve on. Yeah. And that's all he's really ever had to improve on. Cause even in the draft, people knew he was a bucket, just the post moves he showed at Duke and just the way he got to his own shots. People knew what type of scorer he was and people knew he gave a shit on defense too. It really all kind of came down to, is this guy going to be able to pass the ball? And we're seeing it now. We're seeing it. He's willing to do it. He's understanding the game at a different level. I think it's pretty clear through the screen that he's understanding the game at a different level. So, yeah, the Celtics are going up and up. I only see great things from them uh, moving forward this season. Agreed. We're going to get into a tier list for uh, playoff contenders and how, how high we think they can go. Uh, I'm just going to say as a sneak peek, I think the Celtics can make the finals. All right. Um, So we should move on to another excellent team or not excellent team, but just an excellent player. And that's Nikola Jokic. Uh, The Denver Nuggets are still the sixth seed in the West and they've won six out of their last seven after the all-star break. And Jokic has been doing stupid Jokic things. The type of stat lines that I think only he can really put up. Um, he had, what was it? 46 points, 12 rebounds, 13 assists, four steals or three steals and four blocks, something stupid like that. Um, yeah. Three steals, four blocks. Yeah. That, that is amazing, dude. I mean, you texted back and forth about it, about how Giannis is considered very clearly the best player in the NBA, uh, by I think a lot of NBA fans, I don't really think that there's a lot of a toss up. Uh, I think Jokic is right there with him. I don't know which one's better. I'm, it really depends on what you value more, whether it's defense or passing. 
Um, but Jokic has gotten so much better as a defender, man. You can't call him a negative anymore. He does everything so, so well. Uh, the, the stat lines the past couple of games have been crazy from him. Yeah, and it's – I'm kind of there with you, and I was kind of texting you. I was like, there needs to be more conversation about him being the best player in the entire league because it's only the analytics people that think that. Those are the only people that are slamming the table saying Jokic is the best player in the league. You don't have to look at Vorp to understand that he's the best player in the entire league or one of the, right? Like, it's pretty evident. Just watch what he did against New Orleans and tell me there's another player in the league that can do what he did that game. It's, it's, it's hard to find one that could do what he did. And I just think the NBA is in this weird spot right now where instead of having like a defined number one, I think Giannis is 1A. I do think he has a slight edge over Jokic because he's just dominant on defense and on offense. So yeah, I think he has a slight edge, but Nikola Jokic is 1B, Kevin Durant's 1C, Joel Embiid is 1D. It's like they're all in the same category. It's so weird. They're all so similarly dominant to each other. And all of them have playoff success as well. And I think that's another thing that we need to look at. Jokic is an unbelievable playoff player. He is not some guy like James Harden who flames out in the playoffs or like his stats drop drastically. Like he improves. And so does Joel Embiid. And so does Kevin Durant. And so does Giannis. So all of these guys are in the same category. And it's just, it's crazy. And I love Jokic. He's a beast. And this team, like, Get get them healthy and watch out. It's it's just going to be tough to beat with him playing this way. Really is. Um, I have been a Jokic fan. I think since the year Denver decided to start him, I've had his jersey hanging up on my wall for four years at this point. Um, I hear some buzz. It may just be from Philly fans, but I don't want to hear that Joel Embiid is as good or better than Jokic. I don't want to hear it. Jokic, they're both top five players in the NBA. Joel Embiid is having a masterclass year. He could be an MVP. Um, but Nikola Jokic is better. You want to say that Jokic or Embiid's a better scorer in the post? Well, if, I'm sorry. Embiid, you want to say he's a better scorer in the post? Jokic is shooting almost 10% better from two-point range. Um, and that's Embiid's strongest skill. He gets to the free throw line a shit ton more than Jokic does. But that's the only thing he's doing better. And and defense, and defense. Um, no. But, you know, it's it's not that crazy of a gap anymore. Joel Embiid is the best player on defense every single night. Nikola Jokic is a plus, and he's better than a plus. Um, you texted me he's a step under elite as a defender, Jokic is, and I stand with you on that. I think Jokic is eerily similar to Mark Gasol in the sense that he just knows where to be now. Mark Gasol was never wowing you with athleticism or him staying on the perimeter with point guards. He was never doing shit like that. He was just so positionally aware of where people were driving, where he was supposed to be uh, in certain situations. That's how Jokic is. I think Jokic is a step below Mark Gasol. Mark Gasol was a defensive player of the year winner. But in that same sense where Jokic just has the intellect and knowledge to know, hey, I got to be here when this guy comes in or I got to help on this side of the court. 
that's what he is right now. So like you were saying, he's not just a plus, like he's a good defensive player and people have to start treating him that way. Yeah, I agree. Um, do you, how do you feel about the Embiid versus Jokic? Do you think there's an argument to be made for Embiid? I don't think there's an argument to be made for Embiid that he's better. There's no argument there. I think you can make a case that he's similar or like almost the same because I think Jokic is one of the best passers in NBA history. I think he's like right up there with Magic Johnson, LeBron James, like Chris Paul, that caliber. Mm -hmm. I think Joel Embiid's one of the most dynamic defenders of all time. I just think he gets hurt so frequently that you don't see him put together seasons of defensive dominance. So that's why he has no defensive player of the year awards. Um, so yeah, like, that's, that's definitely fair. Yeah. So it's kind of just like, what's the skill you want? Do you want playmaking out of your center or do you just want game changing defense from your center? It's kind of just a pick them at that point. Cause they're both great scorers and they both rebound, rebound the ball. Well, so it's just, that's the swing skill kind of, but I'm a, I'm a Jokic guy personally. Fair. All right. I, that's what I like to hear. Um, you texted me about this. So we're going to, we're going to move right to the Rockets and move right to Jalen Green. Um, a whole bunch of advanced stats track Jalen had that have been tracked over the year, paint Jalen Green as one of the worst players in the NBA. Um, and if you only looked at his first 30 games, I don't think you'd disagree that much. Uh, anybody who's seen his tape from the G league knows that this is an incredibly talented dude, but the efficiency, the turnover numbers, the willingness to play defense, none of it's been there. Um, the last, I don't know, what is it? 16 games or so that he's been playing. He's been averaging much, much better numbers on much better efficiency. Um, you talk to me about this. Just talk about how, how different he's been playing recently. Yeah. So as of late, over the last 19, like you said, um, he's been averaging 19 points with 45% from the floor and 37% from three. Those are respectable numbers right there. Um, and I think me personally, I give him a lot of flack, not him as a player, but just the Rockets as an organization for choosing him over Evan Mobley. I think that is, it was a brain dead decision at the time and it's a brain dis- dead decision now, but at least it's not Marvin Bagley over Luca. I tweeted that out once that the Jalen Green pick over Evan Mobley was Marvin Bagley and Luca. That was more of praise for Mobley than it was a slight against Green. But at least it's not like this, holy shit, we completely missed on this guy. And then a generational talent goes right behind him, right? At least Jalen Green's going to be a good player. And I think we've spoken about this going back to June before the draft even happened. He's a guaranteed 25 points per game in the league eventually. We've questioned what the value of that is in this league and how it affects winning and stuff like that. But if he can be an efficient 25 points per game, something I've seen from him lately is you can't really play defense on him. He's one of those guys where it's like, if he misses, it's his fault. It's not what you do. Um, And I think that's a pretty unique trait. And I think that really really lends itself to success down the road for him because if he's just one of these guys where it's like oh shit Jalen Green's on tonight and he has like 42 and no one can do anything about it it's going to be it's going to lead to wins most likely if they fill that team out around him so I think the Zach Levine comparison 
is actually pretty good for him. He's a little too skinny. He definitely needs to eat or just put on a little bit more weight. But I think that type of play style is like realistic for him moving forward. Zach Levine's a good one. I was going to say Tyrese Maxey. Um, it's hard for him because Tyrese Maxey is an extra option on an incredible team. But when you watch Maxey, when he catches the ball at the three-point line, he's a really good three-point shooter, but his first step is almost always towards the hoop. And it's he lightning is, too. Yeah, immediately he is running full speed at the hoop. Jalen Green can do that. And he's got some really like slithery moves within the paint to get around defenders to just sneak yeah. by guys and go around contact. Um, and with the bounce that he has, he can kind of just score at the rim at will as long as he can get by those one or two guys. Um, I think Maxie's a dude he should be watching. He's not going to get the kind of open looks that Tyrese Maxie gets, but Never. the way that Maxie capitalizes on closing out defenders is something Jalen Green should model at on in his own game. I agree with you 100% because Jalen Green has quickness that few players in the league have. So if he can get his three-point shot percentage high enough to where defenders have to play him at the three-point line, it's easy buckets in the paint all game long. And I this was my comp that I made for him in the summertime. I said he had John Morant's athleticism, but CJ McCollum's game. I think that's pretty good. I think that's like a pretty good comparison because you you mentioned the slithering dribbles. He does do that a lot. And he like chooses his spots with that, his athleticism, uh, kind of like John Morant does. Like sometimes he just does stupid shit. And then sometimes he's just kind of a point guard setting other guys up. So um, yeah, I just wanted to give some credit to Jalen Green here because I feel like I have been dumping on the selection since it's been made. And I've also been kind of dumping on just the value of a score first shooting guard who doesn't do too much else other than scoring. But I mean, if he's going to be efficient and he's going to give you 20 points a night, you can't say it was a bad pick, right? Cause he's still a good NBA, NBA player. So yeah, I wanted, I wanted to give him a quick little shout out. Yeah. I don't think me and you view him as the guy that should be the best guy on your team, the most talented guy on your team. Um, or at least if he is, you need a facilitator. Um, but if right. he is someone who can, if he's got a guy on his team who can set him up for his shots, he, uh, I, I don't think there's any stopping his score. Um, yeah, but that's, that's what it comes down to. He's just a really, really good scorer, but teams do need that. Yeah. And I think, I think the Zach Levine thing, if he hits that as his ceiling, I think that's a great NBA career, right? Like 25 points per game for like, however long straight he'll be fine so at least it's not an awful selection like Bagley over uh Luca yeah that the gap between Bagley and Luca is kind of hard to match by any players in, that have ever been taken in any draft <laughs> yeah <it's like laughs> Sam Bowie and Michael Jordan that's yes. the only other one yeah um yeah no it's not that bad with Jalen Green but I mean we both think they're gonna regret not taking Mobley yeah, I mean, that's if they don't regret it already, I think that's kind of like stupid on their behalf, just what we've seen from Mobley already. Um, and I, I want to touch on another rookie quickly. Cade Cunningham and the Detroit Pistons have won four of their last five. And he came up with a quote that I thought was kind of funny, saying that if they had just started this a couple weeks ago, they could have made the play in. No, they couldn't. They're the worst team in the league, probably. But it's good to see them stringing together wins. Um, in March, this is when teams start to kind of 
rest guys and play guys who probably shouldn't be in the NBA and stuff like that. But Detroit, even stringing together wins is a huge, huge deal for them. And it's going to give them confidence moving into the off season if they can continue this type of pace. And it's going to build well for their culture because they already have Dwayne Casey, who I think is a good NBA coach. And I like that hire a lot for them. Um, But so you have a veteran head coach, you have a young star in Cade Cunningham. If they can get lucky in the lottery with like a top four pick, which they're almost guaranteed to get at this point. I think they are guaranteed to get one at this point. Um, Then I think, I don't know. I think they could possibly be a play in team next year. Like I'm talking the 10th seed, but still, I mean, they could absolutely be better than the Knicks or, you know, the Hornets. I think the Hornets are kind of a sham. Um, I'm with you. So, so I don't know. I think the Pistons, like, they're showing some fight that I didn't necessarily think they had, and they beat the Celtics a few times, you know. So, I don't know. What are, you, what are your thoughts on the on the Pistons and Cade and stuff like that? Um, well, you look at these wins that they're putting up against teams, and they're beating them by, like, one to three points usually. Yeah. It's all um, dog fights. They're getting wins. Um, it's a team that plays really, really hard for as garbage as they are. Uh, the thing that I think bodes really well for the Pistons is Cade's stats over the last six, eight games. Um, over the last eight games, he's put up 20 points six times. Yeah. And his assist numbers and rebounding numbers are always rock solid. He's got he still does the thing where like one every five or six games, he will just have an absolute dog shit showing and go like four for 16 or three for 17 or three for 15. Um, and he just can't hit the broad side of a barn. And on a team where there's no actual other skilled scorers to pass it to, it's kind of like, you know, just chuck up as many shots as you want. Um, maybe if he had another really talented scorer, we'd see less shot attempts on those games. But the fact that he's willing to shoot and the fact that he's scoring pretty well recently, I think bodes really, really well. Yeah, I think so too. And it's funny. It's, it kind of reminds me of like last year's rookie of the year race where it was like Anthony Edwards, just on a bum team, like being able to chuck up as many shots as he wanted. Cause Carl Anthony Towns was injured most of the year. D'Angelo Russell was out basically the entire year. Um, like Cade's kind of just being able to find out what works and what doesn't for him offensively. And like, we're seeing improvements pretty rapidly from him. He's had stretches now where it's like, all right, this guy's going to be a 20 point per game scorer as soon as next year. Like it it wouldn't shock me at all. No, Um, it wouldn't shock me either. What I will say though, is I thought, um, I, I think it's impossible for this to happen now. I thought Cade's scoring numbers were going to jump up to 20 points per game. And he just has too many stinkers. Um, And his like ceiling right now, when he has a really good night, he'll put up 22 or 24. Um, It's not like he's taken 28 or 29 shots and getting 30 points. He's only gotten 30 once, I believe. Um, Yeah. One time I expected a lot more of those. It's pretty impossible for his scoring numbers to go up to 20 points per game now. But yeah. his rookie numbers right now, 16 and a half points, almost six rebounds, five assists. That's yeah. really solid. Yeah, it's extremely solid. And it's, it's extremely similar to LaMelo Ball's numbers last year. Yeah. And 16, 16, I asked 16. you this question over text like a few months ago, I think. But let's just put it out here on the, on the air for our listeners. Over the next five years, who would you want, Cade or LaMelo? To start a winning franchise, who are you taking out of those two guys? 
it's 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 not an easy answer but i'm gonna say Cade only because i think his defense has a lot more potential than lamello's defense Cade fouls way too much um and it's it's really problematic and it limits the amount of time he spends on the floor but lamello is not a sit in a chair and guard the best guy on the other team player he never will be He's someone who can read passing lanes really, really well, and he loves risky plays, so he will gamble on those passing lanes every time it's available. Um, Cade is a dude who I expect in two or three years will be guarding the best offensive player on the other team. I think that's reasonable. As a rookie right now, it's just not there. It's You can go through his foul logs. like It's incredible how many fouls he gets, actually. Um, I'll just read through a few. Five fouls, he had a game with only one, but then four, 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 five, three, five, four. Like, it's just, he's always on the edge of fouling out every single game. And I think that's because he's a rookie and he's still learning, obviously. I think that has a little bit to do with his athleticism, but I'm with you. I'm taking Cade over LaMelo too. I think LaMelo's got a special passing gift. I think Cade's going to be just a smooth 24 every single night on really, really good efficiency. And I think... I think the defensive upside is kind of what you're saying. I think possibly down the line, he could be guarding the best teams, the best player on the opposite team. And I don't think there's a shot in hell LaMelo ever does that. So um, yeah, I think Cade's, Cade's that guy, but yeah, man, think, think about what could happen to that franchise if they actually buy in to free agency. And like, let's say they get super crazy lucky and get like a top two or three pick like this could literally just flip in a year. This could be a way quicker rebuild than they thought. They need an identity. They need some sort of uh, identity on either side of the basketball because their offensive and defensive rating right now are still bottom five in both they're categories. They're awful. Yeah, they're awful. Um, we're seeing flashes. These games that they're winning, it's games where like Jeremy Grant will pop off or Sadiq Bay will pop off and Kate will have a good game. Um, there's a handful of guys on their team that can occasionally put up 20 or more. Um, they definitely need more consistency on that end. They're going to need to have some sort of defensive capabilities if they're, if they want to play in spot. I think that's kind of why we feel like the Hornets are as fluky and as fraudulent as they are is because they really have no defensive identity whatsoever. Um, so every game they win, they win by a shootout. If, I think if the Pistons sign uh, Miles Bridges in free agency, just give him a massive bag and then just get super duper lucky with like a top two pick, I think they're a playing team easily. That's a, that's possible. It might be a lot to ask for. Um, yeah, no, the, the lottery's got to fall in their favor and that's a huge part of it. But if those things happen, book it, they're a playing team. Definitely. And the, the front office in Detroit has shown that they know how to make good decisions over the past couple of years. Um, at, since releasing Drummond, since buying out Blake Griffin, they have gotten players on their team that are actually pluses and they seem to be going in a legitimate direction instead of just stuck in that eight seed no man's land. Um, yeah, and I think Troy Weaver even said something about this, their GM there in Detroit. At the deadline, everyone thought Jeremy Grant was going to be moved. And when he wasn't, people were kind of like, why? I mean, you could get assets back for him. And I loved his answer. He kind of just explained that, 
you know, sometimes losing teams need veterans that have won before in their careers. Like he's an example. He's still a great player talking about Jeremy Grant. Like we need him in the locker room as an example for our guys. I loved that answer. It shows that he prioritizes assets because he's obviously tanking and trying to get draft picks, but he also prioritizes culture and winning mindset and stuff like that. And I think Cade does too. So bright things for the Pistons coming up. Absolutely. Um, I want to bring up a team that me and you have had really high expectations for, and I believe they're three and 12 in their last 15 games. Uh, The Brooklyn Nets have been without KD for a very long time. He just came back very recently. I think his first game was against the Celtics or was it right before that? Right before that. Yeah. So he's only played two games since coming back. Um, Kyrie has been playing every away game. He puts up good numbers, probably every other game. He had a stinker against the Celtics, an absolute stinker. Um, And still no sign of Ben Simmons. He's going to sit on the bench reportedly for the Philly game, uh, which is on Thursday. I I don't know why, but uh, that's the word from Steve Nash is he's going to sit on the bench and watch his team. Um, They're a nine seed right now. Where do you think they end up at the end of the season? Man, I think they probably end up the eight seed. I think they only jump one more spot. Um, the inconsistencies in the lineup is just destroying this team. And as much as I love Kevin Durant, and I was on the mindset that Kevin Durant was the best player in the league, um, the injuries factor into it. That's why I've never been able to call Kawhi Leonard the best player in the league, my favorite player, because he just gets hurt too much. I think he has the talent to be, but when you're off the court, you can't prove that to people. I kind of think the same thing with KD. It's just nagging injuries he just missed a ton of time with the Achilles he comes back and then he gets injured again and it's just it kind of seems like he's gonna miss just like 25 to 30 games a year now which is super sad but I think when you start missing games like that you can't really be in the category of best player in the world um and then Kyrie obviously just missing games because of the vaccination stuff we'll see how long that lasts I don't want to get into the woods with that and then Ben Simmons mental state or back soreness whatever you'd like to call it whatever excuse he's using today I have no idea and I think I was defiant on the day of the trade deadline that Brooklyn did a really good job I'm starting to really not think that same way I think on paper theoretical all theoretical it's a great move you have a guy who doesn't like to shoot with two players that love to shoot and he loves to play defense and it makes sense in person the type of person Ben Simmons is, it's just a shit show. I just think his personality with Kyrie's personality, it's just, there's no hope, I feel. Like, I've, it's, just, it's just a bad match. I think that's exactly what I said to you. when that It, is, it was. Yeah. It was. But I was, in my mind, I was like, okay, he's six foot ten Draymond. Like, yeah. let's just run this shit to a championship. Yeah, now I'm just list off the guys they have on their bench. Patty Mills, Goran Dragic now, Seth Curry now, and then Kyrie, KD, Bruce Brown, Cam Thomas, LaMarcus Aldridge. That's a lot of what sounds like plus rotation players to really good NBA players. And my whole thing was, if Ben Simmons can just pass to really good NBA players from the moment he steps on the court until the moment he gets off the court, it's like, how is he not going to be successful? 
but he's Ben Simmons. And when, when it's a crunch time in a fourth quarter game, it's just like, how do we know he's not going to do the same shit he did against Atlanta? So I've swung pretty hard, honestly. I think on paper, it should work beautifully. The chances it actually works is what I'm concerned about. Yes. So yeah, I don't, I don't see Brooklyn getting any higher than the eighth seed. I don't either. Um, there's also some things to be a little bit concerned about if they stay in the play-in and Toronto stays in the play-in and they have to go to Canada, Kyrie's not allowed. Um, so they're going to be playing a playing game, one of the most important games of the season, without one of their best players. Um, and, you know, even beyond the basketball stuff, that's got to cause some chemistry issues. I'm going to be as harsh as I possibly can be on the Brooklyn Nets and Ben Simmons until Ben Simmons proves me wrong. Yes. Um, this, I think it's absurd. He, he's got to have some real problems uh, physically to not be playing right now. If, if it's just trying to avoid Philly, say it. Honestly, be honest about it. And I don't think anyone would hold anything against you. Show up the very next game. I do not care. But if you're saying back soreness is the reason you haven't played the last five games since you've been traded, it's silly, dude. It's, it's like at a certain point, you got to say something, man. They just traded for another head case who they're going to be paying you know, a top 20 salary in the NBA for him to do what sit on the bench and stay quiet. Um, it's, it's disappointing. And I think seeing the way the Philadelphia trade has worked out for Philly, it's kind of making this more exaggerated, right? Like Ben Simmons is still sitting on his ass while his team has lost 18 of the last 20 games they've played. And they desperately need him. Like, you tell me, if they have Ben Simmons Sunday, does he do a pretty good job on Jason Tatum and maybe lead them to a win? I think that's a plausible event, right? Yeah, getting more open shots for Kyrie that he doesn't have to try to create himself, more open shots for everybody on the team, and playing all-star defense. Yeah, he probably could do all those things. Exactly. So it's, where was it's, he? He was sitting at home. He didn't even sit on the bench, wasn't even with his team, just sitting at home doing jack shit, apparently. Exactly. And I think that type of attitude and we both like, let's not even like try to be soft about it. We know he's faking the injury. Let's just not even pretend it's a real thing. We both know it's not a real thing. See, I'm not as, I'm not as with that as you are. Okay. Um, I'm yeah, it's fake. It. He's faking it and he's just mentally soft. And I think that's something that Brooklyn's got to be weary about. I think like, we'll talk about it in the tier tier list, what we do a little bit later, but yeah, the, the Brooklyn nets have been on a skid losing 18 of 20. Yeah. I think the reason that Ben Simmons hasn't played is because he sat on his ass through the whole yeah. uh, fiasco with Philly and didn't do a single bit of training or preparing. Um, and now that he's on an NBA team, he's trying to get himself into NBA shape and his body wasn't ready for it. Um, there's guys coming in on 10 day contracts that I think are in better physical shape than Ben Simmons. Um, you know, and so that is the reason for me why he hasn't suited up. If it's just a mental block with him where he doesn't want to play Philly or he's not ready to get back into the NBA, I don't know how you continue to justify peg, um, to just sit on your bench and like not communicate. I don't know. I think I'm just anti Ben Simmons entirely. I need to see him play like the all-star that he can be. Um, and then Brooklyn's going to have no problems, man. All of this losing 
will be for absolutely nothing if Ben Simmons played the next game. They would just roll through the rest of the season. Yeah, I think you're totally right. Um, I have one one thing that I want to talk about real quick before we get yeah. into the tier list. Let's do um, it. Kind of tangent, but the Lakers we have highlighted, they suck. They've been terrible the last 15 or so games. Um, and the Laker fans, the people inside the crypto.com arena are letting the Lakers have it. Uh, booing LeBron, booing, booing Westbrook, calling him chanting Westbrook when he's on the floor. These are Laker fans. These are not away fans. Um, and the Westbrook family has not been happy with it. Um, West, Westbrook's wife tweeted something at Skip Bayless saying, like, stop talking about us, keep my name out of your mouth, that sort of thing. And yeah. Westbrook had a couple minutes in a press conference yesterday where he talked about the impact that the Meanie fans have had on his life. Um, and how the, the legacy of his name is being tarnished by people calling him Westbrook. Um, that was a phrase that he used, the legacy of his name being tarnished. Yeah. I, do you have any sympathy for him? I want to. I wish that I did. He's getting paid $44 million to live in Los Angeles and play terrible basketball. I don't have any sympathy for that. You know I don't have sympathy <laughs> I just wanted to talk about it. I just wanted it is, to get shit on it. It is right so hard for me to have sympathy for Russell Westbrook in any capacity. You summarized it perfectly. You're getting paid 40. You're getting you're you have the high, fourth highest salary in the entire league. You're definitely not a top four player. Let's like just zero chance of that. Are you a top 50 player? Are you? Like, are we sure he's a top 50 player in the NBA? Who knows, right? So I mean, for him to complain about fans chanting shit at him, just quit the NBA. And if you if you love the game so much, like he described in his interview, just go play at the Y with some buddies and just hang out and brick shots off the side of the backboard and it'll all be all right. Because you won't have fans chanting Westbrook at you, right? That's all he wants. It's not that he gets paid $44 million and $47 million next year. He is just, I mean, for a guy who's been so rude to reporters his entire career and then suck at basketball this year just suck he's been on five teams in five years and I've never heard him say once yeah man I deserve the booze you know haven't been hitting my shots gotta cut the turnovers instead he says I get to miss shots I get to turn the ball over everybody else does it why can't I He's such a baby. He's the biggest baby. I freaking hate it. The way he plays basketball and the way he treats interview interviewers and reporters and all this shit, he drives me insane. I'm glad I asked. I'm glad I brought this up. You opened a can of worms. <laughs> Once you said the Lakers, I knew exactly where you were going. I was like, shit. $44 million. And he's like, please stop calling me names, guys. Um, it's the, the accountability is the worst thing. Magic Johnson on national TV the other day said, Russ, you got to stop with the quips on the reporters. Got to stop with the witty remarks, take some accountability and get it together. Um, it's, it's like at a certain point, I'm just like, I don't want to look anymore. Um, me and you are not big Westbrook fans. So when he fails, it's a little comical sometimes when he's got a triple double and that triple and the third thing is 10 turnovers. Yes. Um, me and you like to laugh at that because it's funny. Uh, but 
you know, at a certain point, I just don't want to look anymore. It's not like a car crash where you can't look away. It's like a car crash with a car crash on top of a car crash behind it. It's never ending car crashes. At a certain point, you know what you're looking at. You don't have to keep looking. Yeah, this year for fun, I watched every Lakers game. Like at the beginning segment of the season, I was what I watched like 20 plus Lakers game this season just so I could see it and like revel in it and just enjoy it. And then you're right. Like I got to a point where I was like, I know this shit's going to happen whether I watch the game or not. Like, do I really need to tune in for two and a half hours to see him just shit all over the floor? Like I, I don't have to. Um, he He's in a different stratosphere of like mentally delusional. It's, it's pretty. And it's so like for a guy who's never been good in the playoffs too, like ever. And a guy who's only been regular season success the way we treat him and the pedestal he gets put on, I know he's getting knocked off of it now, but like even back in his OKC days, like he was still rude to reporters, even when he was the MVP of the league. Every- and he's like a shit talker on the court. He's he's yeah. rocking the baby in front of people's faces. He's like yapping at people all over the court. And then he's like, guys, don't be mean to me. Don't call me yeah. Westbrook. I don't like it. Yeah. And I think one of my favorite NBA moments I've ever witnessed in my entire life is him daring Damian Lillard to get in a shooting contest with him in the playoffs. And then Dame just absolutely destroying him and then waving bye to him after the game winning shot to beat them in the playoffs. Like there was nothing that filled my heart with joy more than that. Russell Westbrook just, this is the thing too. Hold on. This is the thing. If he just hits his shots, this wouldn't even be an issue. Like just layups. If he just just, didn't break open layups. Yeah. Just make your layups, make your dunks, don't throw the ball out of bounds, and then I think you're okay, but he's incapable. He's incapable of doing that. Do you think there is a talented NBA player with worse touch than Russell Westbrook? Not a fucking chance. I, I would go as far as NBA history. I'm so serious. I don't think there's ever been a player as talented as Russell Westbrook. I've texted you this before. I think Russell Westbrook is literally one of the greatest athletes to put his feet on this earth. He is one of the worst basketball players I've seen personally, like in terms of his athleticism and his speed, his jumping. It's insane. I've never seen anything like it. When it comes down to what should I do in the final two minutes of a fourth quarter? No one worse. Yeah. Cause it's rust time. The last two it's minutes of every baby. fourth quarter is rust time, baby. Live by it, die by it. Um, I've heard a little bit of back and forth on this. So I, I, th- I know where you lie. I just think it's something we should talk about yeah. all time. Where do you think when their careers are both said and done, um, Westbrook and Chris Paul are going to land, which one's going to be considered the better all time point guard when their careers are done. It'll be Chris Paul because, and that's not even a bias thing. Cause I try to take that stuff like relatively seriously. Chris Paul has had like a pretty, f- I don't want to say flawless, but a pretty good playoff career. If you go to Chris Paul and you just look at some of the performances he's had, he's pretty consistent all the way through. And he was like bringing teams to the playoffs that probably shouldn't have even gotten there. Um, I know you can say the same thing for Russ, but once he brings them to the playoffs, the stats go out the window. I mean, there are some playoff series that Russ averages like 30 points, but he's shooting like 23% from three and 32% from the field. So it's like, he's kind of hurting his team by averaging 30 points. And I think that's the difference. I think Chris Paul is going to be known as the guy who's always put his team in the right positions. 
I think Russell Westbrook's going to be kind of known for the exact opposite at the end of the day. I think that's reasonable. It's hard to compare accolades because they're both just star studded. Um, But, you know, Chris Paul's made more all-star teams. He's got more assist champs than Westbrook, whereas a dude who assists are like his thing. Um, I think that hurts him a bit. I definitely think that even despite having an MVP, Chris Paul has been a better point guard. Russ at his peak 2016, 2017 had a better season than Chris Paul's best seasons. Probably. Um, I think he was in second place. Chris Paul was second place in MVP voting when he was in new Orleans. Yeah. Um, so he's had some really good years, but I mean, historically, I don't think anybody's going to look at them as good as the first triple double season we ever saw since Oscar Robertson. I think you're right. I think you're right. And Chris Paul is also like one of the best point guard defenders of all time also. So I think that kind of lends him nine all defensive teams. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think it'll be pretty clear at the end of the day that Chris Paul was a better player, but yeah. Russell, man, just hit your shots, bro. Actually, before we end on the Lakers, I just want to talk to you about this. A report came out that it's basically final that Russell Westbrook will not be on the Lakers next year. Um, There's been a ton of internal, um, like, distress. I don't know. There's been a lot of arguments inside the organization um, between Russell Westbrook and the head coach, Russell Westbrook and Jeannie Buss, the owner. um, And they basically made it apparent to him, like, hey, you're not going to be here next year. Um, where do you think he goes? Because they need to find a trade suitor. Um, basically, the Lakers package is going to be their 2027 unprotected pick and a 2029 unprotected pick that they're probably going to try to package with Westbrook to entice like a young and upcoming team to bite. One, do you think a young and upcoming team should bite because those picks are going to be valuable? And two, like, do you see any potential suitors for Westbrook or no? I definitely don't see any team that wants Russell Westbrook in the condition he's in right now. I don't see a team that is lacking a point guard that wants to be a play in team right now that could be saved by him. Maybe if he went to like the Kings and tried to revive that franchise, I would get behind the Westbrook train. Um, You know, they don't have the money to really do that. I, it doesn't make sense on paper, but just as a place that needs revival if you've got a dude who you think can bring you to a play-in spot Russell Westbrook is that dude you're a garbage team and you need one player to bring you to a play-in spot Russell Westbrook can do that um but are the Kings gonna want to pay him 47 million dollars no I don't think so I think the only team that makes sense to me is OKC he gets to return home that would be cool he gets to return home. You know Sam Presti's going to love the picks being attached to him. Russell Westbrook, I mean, I don't think he's going to make that team a winner by any stretch. Uh, they're pretty, pretty bad. I don't think the addition of Russell Westbrook makes them a play-in team. I think that's kind of the only situation I see fit. Unfortunately, I don't know there's a way in hell you can make the salaries match because OKC – has one player paid over like $15 million and it's Shea Gilgis Alexander. Yeah, everyone else. Guard. Yeah. Everyone else is on like minimum, minimum contracts. So that's the one spot I see probably won't happen, but it's just an interesting idea to see like where Russ will land next. I I'm super curious about that. I'm curious. I'm not convinced that the Lakers could get rid of him. 
Um, so you think he stays because they just can't find a suitor? Yeah, he's going to take that player option. Um, True. He's going to take his $47 million and I wouldn't blame him. Um, he's still going to live in L.A. with his kids and his family. He's not. He's going to be doing everything he can to stay off outside of basketball. You know, if he wanted to stay on the Lakers, he would turn the ball over less and play defense. Um, but he's going to do all of the non-accountability things that he can to stay on the Lakers. I can't see a team taking him. I don't want to see him on OKC because I think Shea Gilgis Alexander is a beast and I think he should have the ball in his hands always. And Giddy just had an unbelievable month. He averaged 17, uh, eight assists and six rebounds the whole month. Yeah. I would rather have Shea Gilgis Alexander and Trey Mann as your point guards than throw Russ in there. Completely fair. Yeah. I, I would not blame Sam Presti for turning that down at all. I do want to say, Whoever snags that deal, those picks are going to be so incredibly valuable. The Lakers have proven they don't know what to do with themselves if they don't have star players calling the shots. Those picks are going to be top four, guaranteed, in my opinion. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah I mean, the, the upcoming them, picks that the Lakers have given away are also looking very, very valuable. Um, <laughs> I, did a, I did a tankathon mock drafts, like simulator. The Lakers pick went to third and it got conveyed to New Orleans because of the Anthony Davis trade. I mean, like, it's in the realm of possibility that New Orleans just completely rebuilds their team through the draft because of that Anthony Davis trade, because the Lakers are just slowly getting worse. Yeah. Yeah, man, I, I'm, I'm all for the Lakers sucking. Um, I wonder, this is a drama for a, a far further episode, but, you know, if it gets bad enough, is LeBron going to try to leave? Um, I think is something that we can't look at right now because they still got to focus on this season, but eventually that might be something we're talking about. Yeah, I agree. All right. So we are going to take a break and come back for the second half with a tier list of our playoff contenders. All right. And we're back. Uh, The second half here, we have broken down the top 10 teams in the East and West into three tiers. Uh, The first tier is championship contenders. Second tier is a frisky playoff team, kind of like a dark horse playoff team. Um, And then first round out is the last tier. So we're going to start with the East and we're going to start with the championship contenders. I think that this is about as wide open a finals has looked since I've been a really, really close watcher of basketball. Uh, there's a lot of really, really good teams on the top of both speeds and West. And I think that there are four teams that can really make a finals run. Uh, the top three seeds, Miami, Philly, and Milwaukee are the top three that I really think, you know, at their, at the level they're at now, they can make a finals run. And then I'm putting Boston in that category as well. The defense has been too incredible. The fact that they finally put it together, the fact that Jason Tatum is actually playing like we expected Jason Tatum to play and they have a cohesive bench unit, you know, all of that. Um, I think the Celtics can make a championship, can make a finals run. And I have left the Chicago Bulls off of that list. I have been as high on the Chicago Bulls as any non-Chicago fan could be over the past couple of years. Um, they just lost to Philly the other day and they are now 0-9 against the top three seeds in the East. And I think that's really significant. 
And you can point to injuries. You can point to Vooch was out or, you know, Lonzo and Caruso are still missing all of that. But other teams have beaten the best teams with some people missing. Um, Chicago just hasn't. So I can't put them in the championship contender list. I'm totally with you there. I've been on the podcast kind of claiming that Chicago is a little bit of fraudulence. Um, I just think there's something fishy going on there. I think what they do really lends itself to um, regular season success as of right now. And I think the injuries to Lonzo and Caruso matter a lot. Like we can't just gloss over the fact that those guys are down. Um, So my championship contenders are only three teams, Miami, Philly, Milwaukee, Frisky playoff teams, Boston, Cleveland, Chicago, and the Brooklyn Nets. Um, I know I just talked about the Nets and how it's looking pretty shaky, but as the eighth seed, like, honestly, could they beat Miami? I think probably, which is just annoying, but it's true. If Ben Simmons is what he should be on paper with that team, and Patty Mills is still shooting 45% from three, and Seth, Seth Curry is still sh- shooting 45% from three, and then you pair that with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, it's just going to be a hard team to stop. And I, I think they have a chance to just upset someone if everyone stays healthy and everyone's allowed to play in different states and stuff. Like, it's going to be, it's going to be reliant on a lot of different things, but I think they need to be included. Yeah, I have my frisky playoff teams are Chicago, Cleveland, and Brooklyn. Um, basically, Brooklyn for the same reasons you said. They're too talented to be considered a first-round exit. Even if they only have 80% of their stars, even if Kyrie's missing games, even if Kevin Durant's missing games, they're too talented across the board to not be able to figure something out. Um, what would it take for you to consider the Celtics a, a championship contender? Is there anything they can do in the regular season that's going to sway you? I just feel like the, the thing with Miami is their depth. I feel like they have 10 guys, but like when I look at Philly and Milwaukee, like both of those teams have the best player and like by pr- a pretty wide margin. Tatum's been pretty great as of late, but like Joel Embiid's just like, clearly better than Jason Tatum and Giannis is clearly better than Jason Tatum I'm just gonna rock with the best player usually unless there's like extreme depth and I think that's what Miami has they have Jimmy Butler Kyle Lowry Tyler Hero Marcus Morris PJ Tucker Bam Adebayo like Dwayne Dedman they have just like a ton of guys that just contribute nightly and you don't really have to worry about them they have Duncan Robinson who's like okay as of right now um, I just think they out depth the Celtics and I think they're a good matchup for us too. I think, I think that's another part of it. We saw what they did to the Celtics in the bubble. Um, they, Bam is just a nightmare matchup for us. And I know time Lord has more experience under his be- belt now. And like, is probably a better matchup now than he was two years ago. But I mean, Bam just absolutely ate our lunch in that series. So I think it's just a matchup thing that's keeping Boston out of that tier. That's fair. I definitely don't want to see the Celtics play the heat until the conference finals. Um, I I think they're really, really legit. And it doesn't make sense as to how, because they don't have the best player in the series. I think Jason Tatum is better than Jimmy Butler. I think Um, that's fair. Jimmy Butler. I, you know, we didn't talk about this, but he has forgot how to shoot a basketball. Uh, This calendar year, I think he's shooting 16% from the three point line. 
he he's lost 19, his three. He's nineteen percent on the year. Yeah, he lost his three point shot when he had that wrist surgery in Philly. Ever since then, he hasn't really been a top tier three point shooter. He really doesn't even attempt that many. Yeah. Um, so I don't think it's crazy to say that Jason Tatum is a better player, but depth wise, Miami beats every team. Um, Joel Embiid has put up a lot of points and some nice counting stats against the Celtics in the playoffs, but he's never really won them games against the Celtics. We've always regular season. He eats the Celtics lunch. He bullies every big man. We try to throw on him, puts him in foul trouble immediately. Um, If you look at the playoff numbers, he's put up 23 points per game in one series and 30 points in another series, but they were inefficient. Um, He had to take a shit ton of shots to get there. I, I think there's a chance we could do pretty good against him, him and James Harden. I don't. I think saying the confidence is great. I think I'm just looking at the stats. I'm just looking at the history. Yeah. Uh, Joel Embiid has not had a great playoff history against the Celtics. Al Horford's kind of known as like the Philadelphia Joel Embiid stopper. And that's why Philly signed him. That's literally why they signed him. They said, if they can't have him, we'll take him. And it didn't work for them. But Al Horford's had a really good track record against him for whatever reason. I just think what Joel's doing now is different than what Joel did two years ago. Yeah, we can't send doubles at him at the right times and hope that that'll just fluster him enough. And that was the bubble too, the 2020 series. So like it kind of has been like four years since because Ben Simmons was out that whole first series in Philly right. in the bubble so it's like he did did he even have a shot not really right right there's some context there that's yeah but so I just think Joel what he's doing this year is like clearly a level above what he's done basically every single year of his career that just makes me nervous yeah no that's fair um Giannis too is on another level from where he's ever been when we've played him Um, And he's had some good numbers against us. Milwaukee, I don't think they're as talented as Philly. I think even within that championship contender, I've got a tier list that puts Philly and Miami at the top two and uh, Milwaukee and Celtics is a three and four. Okay. I think I would have Milwaukee first, Philly second, Miami third. Interesting. So we differ a little bit there. Yeah. Um, So first round outs, I think they're all kind of, pretty clear cut or uh, Charlotte not really going to do anything Toronto not really going to do anything Atlanta not really going to do anything totally with you totally with you um the Raptors three-point shooting is pretty bad um Scotty Barnes love them uh Fred Van Vliet love them but right now OG Ananobi and Fred Van Vliet are out and their whole offense revolves around if Gary Trent Jr. can hit 10 threes in a game that is not a way to <laughs> win basketball games hopefully when those guys get back they'll look a little bit better but they're kind of going through a similar thing that Cleveland's going through right now I think they're trying to refine their identity through injuries and stuff like that so um the thing with the Raptors is I just think I think Cleveland has a slightly higher ceiling just because of the defense I feel like the Raptors their switchability is really cool but they don't do it as well as Boston does like Boston has perfected it the Raptors, they take a lot of risks and try to like just clog up this uh, passing lanes and stuff like that. I don't know. There's something about it that seems gimmicky. And we talked about this over the phone. It, like, it's the we, full um, court pressing. It's the playing your starting five, 39 minutes. It's the, 
Um, you know, he only rolls – Nick Nurse kind of rolls six deep sometimes for some regular season games against teams that don't matter. Right. Um, they are a talented team, man. I'm going to keep disrespecting them for some reason while they end up an over 500 team in a really good Eastern Conference. Yeah. Um, the fact that they've been able to play at this level I think is pretty incredible, but I t- certainly think it's unsustainable. Yeah, and moving on to Charlotte and Atlanta, I kind of have the same argument for both of them where it's just ball-dominant point guards that don't play any defense surrounded by players that don't play any defense. Um, I just watched the Atlanta-Detroit game from last night. Cade Cunningham ripped Atlanta apart. They could do whatever they wanted against Atlanta the entire game. Charlotte has notably had the worst defense in the league the entire year. So if, if they score 140, they can beat you. But other than that, they have no threat to win a series or anything like that. Yeah, their players have been too iffy. Bogdanovich is starting to figure it out again, but he had a really slow start. Gallinari has sucked. DeAndre Hunter hasn't been himself. Um, and they are just relying on their offense going crazy. Is there a kind of a little bit of a tangent? Is there another player you can think of whose gap between their offensive and defensive capabilities is as large as Trey Young? No. I saw a fun discussion about this on the internet the other day, uh, and the only other name that was brought up in the reverse was Dennis Rodman. Okay. Dennis Rodman would have 30-minute-per-game seasons where he'd average three points per game. Yeah. Um, the only, he's the only one I can think of whose gap between their offense and defensive skills is as large as Trey Young's. That's super interesting. Cause if like, I know the analytics committee or community loves Trey Young, like he's ranked like the best offensive player in the league outside of Nikola Jokic. Yeah. On defense though, he's, he's literally the worst defender in the NBA. I think yes. that's like easily noticeable whatever game you watch you can see him standing around you can see him not putting any effort in um and even if he does put effort in he's like 511 like 180 like he just gets trucked by literally anybody so yeah I I don't know if there's a player with a greater discrepancy between their offense and defense in the league it's it is really crazy because you're right he is you know a top three top five offensive player and then a bottom two defensive player it's really terrible the skill isn't there the willingness to defend isn't there you know if he's putting up 28 he's letting up at least 20 um the charlotte side they need a center that is better than montrez harrell and mason Plumley and yeah. the you know smattering of other guys that they've tried to throw in there um they need a really solid defensive center and they've never had it Mason Plumley, I think, is dope on offense. I think he can do more than people say he can do. But defensively, he's not good. Right. And that's really what, what their holdout is. If they ever got a really good defensive center, we've been begging them to trade for Miles Turner. Yep. If that just happened, I would have them in a frisky playoff team, I think. They wouldn't be an automatic first-round exit. And I think there's a conversation that needs to be had. Is Gordon Hayward, like, the most important player on that team? even above LaMelo, because in LaMelo's rookie year, they were the fifth seed, and then Gordon Hayward got hurt, and they plummeted to the play-in, and they got their asses kicked in the play-in game. This year, they're playing pretty well. They're playing pretty well. Gordon Hayward gets hurt. They lose, I don't know, nine of their last 11, I think. So it's like Gordon Hayward seemingly has more importance to this team 
than I think he gets credit for. Cause I know the, like the paycheck is so big that people like to like talk smack about it, but I think 17, six and five with like decent defense is really important for that team. And I think, I think he, yeah, I don't know. They're going to, they miss him a lot. Yeah. Agreed. And to do it at the forward spot and to be able to swing the ball as accurately and as quickly as he's able to do it to other guys helps their offense in a huge way. Losing out on him really sucks. Um, He's a dude that I I would be terrified to hitch my wagon to if I was an NBA team, just because of how brittle he seems to have become recently. It's, it's such a shame because when he's out there, he's such an impact player. We saw it with the Celtics. Like there were stretches where he was our best player, like above Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, but he just gets hurt so frequently. Um, My wrist is sore. My ankle's broken. This needs surgery. It's just, it's hard to, like you said, tie your bandwagon to it. Yeah, I I totally agree. Um, Moving on to the West though, to start the championship contender tier, who is actually, I'm going to go first. Um, the top six seeds in the Western conference, I think are all championship contenders. That is Phoenix, Memphis, Golden State, Dallas, and Denver. I'm actually going to take Utah off the list and put them as a frisky playoff team. So five teams in the West, I think are championship contenders. I only have one championship contender. And And it's Phoenix. I don't think anyone like to me, Phoenix is the team in the West. The way they've been playing all year long is we talked about it last episode. They're super consistent. There's never a down game with Phoenix. We're seeing Cam Johnson take a leap all of a sudden. Mikhail Bridges, we know who he is as a player. DeAndre Ayton had a 30-point game the other night. I can't remember the last time I saw DeAndre Ayton score 30. Devin Booker, great scorer. And then when Chris Paul comes back healthy, I just think their depth and their versatility – being able to put Jay Crowder, Cam Johnson, Mikhail Bridges on the like opposite team's best player the entire game, just rotate those three guys to take turns on LeBron or Clay Thompson or uh, Desmond Bain or Jamal Murray, you know, like they just have guys that they can just keep throwing out there. I think, I think Phoenix is really like the favorite in the West. I think they're the favorite in the West, but I don't think that there's no chance that a team beats them. Um, I think a healthy Denver Nuggets is going to be a hard matchup for them. I think the Golden State Warriors, when Draymond comes back, should be a much harder matchup. They've been bad without Draymond. And that's something that we, we should definitely look at talk about. Um, Memphis Grizzlies, truly, I have no idea what their ceiling is. It's impossible to know. Um, but I just I love them so much. So I'm riding the, the championship bandwagon. And then Dallas, man. Luca has been stupid good. The addition of Spencer Dinwiddie and Burton seems like a plus. It worked. Um, that yeah. trade worked for them. Dinwiddie's yeah. been great. And I think, I think Burton's had a game where he hit like six threes. So, I mean, like they're already getting more out of Burton's than the Wizards were. Yeah. I, I, right, man. And all the while, they're an excellent defense and they just do not stop winning. Um, they could be a top three seed in the West at the end of the season. With how much uh, Golden State's falling, I, I think it's really possible. The only one in the top six that I don't think has a chance is Utah. Yeah, so when I <laughs> – I have Utah in my first round exit. Ooh. So my frisky teams are the Warriors, the Grizz, the Nuggets, the Dow- Dallas Mavs, and the Lakers. So I'll get to the Lakers quickly. Even as bad 
is I like even as much as I dislike the way Russell Westbrook plays if Anthony Davis can be healthy for a whole playoff series or a play-in game and he gets them to a playoff series they're just going to be hard to beat we saw what LeBron's so capable of over the weekend he scored 56 points on 31 shots well over 50 percent from the field he's just that guy LeBron is still that guy and Anthony Davis when healthy, is still a top 12 player in the league. So you have LeBron, Anthony Davis. I think Malik Bunk has been a godsend for that team. He's played so well. He's basically J.R. Smith. It's it's wild how similar they are. Um, so just the talent of that starting five for them might be enough to, like, kick someone off. I'm not sure, but I think they – just because they have LeBron, I think they have to be in the frisky range. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that that's definitely fair. My frisky playoff teams are going to be the Utah Jazz and the Lakers. Um, I will, would love so much to be able to put the Timberwolves there with any sort of confidence. I think they'll get there eventually. Um, this year is not their year. The fact that they're in the top eight right now, the fact that they're actually making a legit playoff push, I think is enough. Because um, that, you know, it's been a lot. It's been a while. Um but they're not a frisky playoff team. So the first round exits are going to be Minnesota, the Clippers, and the Pelicans. Yeah. So we have very similar first round exits, except I have Utah in mind. Um, so with Utah, my ration, rationale behind this is right now, if the playoffs started, they'd face Dallas. Dallas would beat them. Let's say Denver moves up. Denver's going to beat them. Let's say they have to face Golden State and Utah drops to six. Golden State beats them. I think Memphis beats them, and I think Phoenix beats them. There's no way they beat any of those teams. I think they're headed home first round, almost guaranteed. So that's what I'm going to say. I totally is reasonable based on where they are right now. If they fall, they're going to be in big trouble. Um, They could be a three seed at the end of the year. I think they would lose. To the six seed? If it's Denver? Yeah. If it's Minnesota, I think Denver's still got room to climb, but that means they got to knock off Dallas. Yeah, it's a, it's a packed Western Conference right now. Yeah. Um, I have some faith in the Utah Jazz. They were bad without Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, which is obvious. Um, bad without Rudy Gobert, you know it. If you have watched any of the Utah Jazz, you know Rudy Gobert is one of the most important players on that team. Um, they need everybody healthy. Losing Joe Ingles sucks, but I mean, they've still got a pretty talented offensive core. Um, it would definitely be tough for them. They're not the favorite in any playoff matchup. I see them realistically having golden state, Dallas, Denver, any of them, if they play any of them, they're not the favorite. Yeah. And they don't have any point of attack defenders really no. i mean royce o'neill is their best point of attack defender you go and down he's the not list. very good yeah you go down the list bogdanovich clarkson conley mitchell like rudy gay no none of these guys are going to be able to defend in a playoff series when you have luca on the opposite side of you or Jokic. Yeah. like even Jokic has given gobert nightmares over his career yeah let's talk shit to him the whole time yeah, like Gobert can't do anything about it. He just gets bodied the entire yeah. game. It's just, it's going to be impossible for them to win a series against a player of that caliber. And unfortunately for them, 
every team in the West has a guy of that caliber. You got Seth Curry, Chris Paul, and Devin Booker, Jokic, uh, Luca. Like he, they're just going to be matched up against guys who are better than who they have. So the problem is the game plan. The game plan to beat Utah seems pretty clear. Um, the the LA Clippers were able to do it with Terrence freaking man yeah. um, by just sticking an okay player in the corner and having him take wide open threes. Rudy Gobert's either gotta stay on him and let his ass point of defend point of attack defending teammates let guys take layup after layup all game, or he's got to jump into the paint and clear it, and then they get wide open threes. It's really a losing battle for Rudy Gobert. Um, the game plan to beat the Jazz seems very obvious. And it's it's been the game plan for multiple years now. That wasn't the first time we saw that against Utah last year with the Clippers. It just wasn't. Golden State did it to them a few years ago with Draymond at the five, and they had no idea how to stop it. So I don't blame that on Rudy Gobert. I know we've had this conversation on the podcast. They're just point of attack defenders alongside with Rudy Gobert's like he's just too tall to like move around super well. So it kind of, it just, it's a really, really bad mess in the playoffs, but I'll go to some of my first round exit teams too. New Orleans has been unbelievable since the CJ McCollum trade and CJ McCollum is playing like a top 20 player in the league right now. He is frying people. Yeah. Can I read out the averages before you keep going? Yeah. 26, six and six shooting 50, 40, 75. He's just frying people. It's insane. And Brandon Ingram has quietly had like an all NBA caliber season, like obviously wins matter in those discussions, but the, what he's doing by himself on this team is so impressive. I have a ton of respect for the New Orleans Pelicans as a team. It's just when they go up against some of these other teams that are in the play-in, I think Minnesota just has a little bit more talent than them. I think the clip, they could probably beat the Clippers, I don't know. I don't know, man. Do they have a shot to beat the Lakers, do you think? I think Zion has to come back, and then yes. Okay. Um, good news on that front, man. Zion Williams has been cleared to progress in his basketball activities. The Pelicans reported that the other day, uh, March 5th. So he is slowly getting back into it with the team. That's the important part. That didn't come from Zion. That didn't come from a reporter who talked to an agent who knows Zion's family member. That was the Pelicans themselves clearing Zion to keep progressing in his basketball activities. So no second surgery. Um, the rehab's going fine. So there is an avenue where he plays in the playing game. I don't wow. think any team wants to face them in the playing game. There's five weeks until the play-in starts. If Zion can get healthy in five weeks and then just come off the bench – Cause he's not going to be in game shape, but if he can come off the bench for that one game and just like try to drop 20 and like 12 shots, like they have a legit shot. Yeah. I don't think any team wants to play them, man. They, they, I have them as the favorite to make it out of a playing tournament or playing game, no matter who they play. If Zion's healthy. Who, how far can they go without him? Because I know I put the Lakers in the frisky chance, but I think new Orleans could beat them in a one game game. I do. I think if, Anthony Davis is not there. I mean, Brandon Ingram just could go for 40 and like yeah. take the game over. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Brandon Ingram. Let me just say, um, I gave Andrew Wiggins too much credit uh, as deserving of an all-star starter spot. Um, I said when it happened that Brandon Ingram should have gotten it, but I was pretty like 
lenient about it. I wasn't really pushing it that hard. I thought it was fine that Wiggins got that. Um, no, I've, I've totally turned the corner. Brandon Ingram had a better year the first half of the season. He's continuing to have a better year, and Wiggins has been garbage. Um, Brandon Ingram's incre- incredible. He's, he's awesome. His playmaking is top tier for a dude who plays the way he plays as just a difficult shot maker. Um, his playmaking's really good. CJ McCollum's been stupid good. I did not expect this from him. Um, you know, I guess like being the main ball handler on a team is really good for him. We see the way he scores in the mid range. We've seen that forever in Portland. Um, he's hitting threes at a pretty good rate. And he's taking seven a game in the 10 games he's played. Um, I, I don't know man. if AD isn't healthy. I think the Pelicans could beat the Lakers. I think so too. It is not out of the realm of possibility for me. Um, and just to kind of wrap up on Mini, I think you're right. I think Mini will one day get there. Like they have the talent on their team. It's just, they're too young. This is only Anthony Edwards' second year. They don't have a backup point guard at all. Um, once D'Angelo Russell comes out of the game, things get a little hairy. And then for the Clippers, they're not going to be in this conversation for long. When Kawhi comes back, they're winning the title. So um yeah I, I i think i think we have a very similar list like we have instead you have a bunch of teams in the championship category i have a bunch of teams in the frisky category but all, all in all we all agree about the teams and where they should be placed kind of yeah yeah pretty much um to talk about the timberwolves a little bit going and looking at their stats they're actually like their first or their second in the league in three pointers made um fourth sixth in the league on field goals made their first in the league in points scored um but their defense isn't good and you know that might be a hole that's never filled d'angelo russell's been great anthony edwards can play with some real energy but we know carl anthony towns just isn't a good defender i was just about to say they've had the worst defense in the league since the new year yeah so since january 1st they've had the worst defense in the league they started this year as a top 10 defense because they were putting a ton of pressure on people and they were like erupting the passing lanes. Teams have schemed around that to the point where Minnesota has completely changed their defensive strategy. So now they're no longer like steel heavy going into a team's passing lanes. They kind of like back off and now more responsibility is on Cat's shoulders and it's gone horribly. Yes. What that has led to is they're now bottom five in the league in terms of assists given up per game. Um, last in the league in terms of free throws given up per game, their defensive scheme breaks down pretty easily. If you just keep swinging the ball enough, they don't have enough really high level uh, defenders to be able to handle it. And it leads to easy free throws, easy buckets, and that's kind of been their downfall. But they are still really, really good this year. And Carl Anthony Towns, I, I don't know where I rank him as a center. I want to call him a top three center. Um, I don't know. Bam, Rudy Gobert, and Carl Anthony Towns are such different centers. I don't know who is better. It's probably just entirely subjective who you think is better. Yeah. Um, but Carl Anthony Towns is up there. He's at least top five. A hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent, 25, 10 and four on 50, 40, 80. I mean, that's just efficiency that you don't really get from any other center in the league other than Jokic. Um, so yeah, offensively, we know who Towns is. The argument for Rudy would be he's 
defensive player of the year over and over again. And then Bam's kind of like a mix of both. Mm-hmm. Bam's like all defense and, but he's a facilitator and really efficient in the paint. So yeah, it's kind of just like you said, it's subjective. Yeah. Um, you, you think there's no chance any team knocks out Phoenix for the, the championship spot. Is there any team you're looking at in the West that has the highest potential? I think Phoenix is a guarantee to make the Western conference finals, a okay. guarantee. I think the Warriors are kind of the only team that could do it. Um, if Draymond comes back healthy and he is who he was earlier in the season, cause he was going to win defensive player of the year in a landslide. If he had stayed healthy, um, the, the Warriors would be on the same pace as Phoenix if he had just stayed healthy, but if he's who he was before he got hurt and clay looks a little bit better because even though the offense for Clay has looked okay, the defense has not been what it used to be. And that's what made them a championship caliber team is because they could just put Clay on the best guy and then Draymond could be this kind of like roamer in the back line. Um, but Warriors, the Warriors are the only team I really see given the Phoenix uh, Suns a shot. I respect that. I mean, they are one of the best teams in the West. I still have stupid amounts of confidence in the Denver Nuggets. I don't think that's going anywhere until they actually lose a series. I love the Nuggets too, man. But to think that Jamal Murray comes back and is himself after a year off of basketball, I just, that's tough for me to buy into. True, true. And Michael Porter Jr., the same deal. He struggled the whole start of the season. Um, Back issues are nothing to fuck with. So, yeah, we really don't know what the Nuggets could be. Um, I just freaking love Jokic, man. I love the season he's putting on. I think if there's any guy that can lead a team um, into the playoffs, he's the one you want more than anybody. Yeah, give him a give him a healthy team, and he has a championship. Because yeah. I think he could have beaten the Lakers in the bubble. Yeah, I think easily. Yeah. I, 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 that wouldn't have shocked me at all. I mean, the way Jamal Murray was playing in the bubble, I don't know. That's just me. I think if they have a healthy team, and Mike, because back in the bubble, Michael Porter Jr. was just a baby. Right. Like now he's an actual established player. If they had the same team now that they, back in the bubble, they would have won easily. So, right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. All right. Is that all we got for today? Yeah, I think that's it. All right. Thank you, everybody. Peace. Peace.